tonight because of Clover, which is about it. He went wrong. Uh, no, because of Yankee, and then and I hung out in Clover's chat, and then we hung out after. We've got all kinds of interesting things happen off the scenes or behind the scenes, whatever it's called, and we're late, so apologize for that. For the people that listen on the regular, there's a bunch of people joining in. Well, there's six people joining in right now. Uh, thanks for sticking with us for an extra hour. Um, looks like we got a new sub. Do you like that thing where every time you look at YouTube, it tells you how many new subs you got or that there's a new sub? Kind of neat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it pulls too much focus on numbers, honestly. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, numbers that really don't get you anything. Yeah, seriously. Well, and again, I don't know. They gave you some encouragement, like you guys are talking yeah. about. You see the numbers grow, it's something to to keep him going. There are other people out there that are interested in whatever I'm doing. Uh, anyway, so we got some people joining us. We got Clover jumping in from Texas. Thanks for jumping in. Thanks for the invite. Yep, Gary jumping in from Kansas. Thanks for the invite, sir. How close are you to Nebraska? Oh, a couple hours. All right. Well, we'll have to see if there's some sort of a potential for a Gun Channel's mini meetup. We can get Sandhills and and uh, Travis. Do you, would, would you be interested in coming up? A uh, possibility. Think about that. Then we got Dano jumping in from Illinois. Hey, what if I drove all the way to Illinois, Dano? Would you want to meet up? Uh, I'd have to think about it to tell you the truth. I'm not so sure. I Since we last met, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll make plans and maybe somewhere on the 21st or something. We'll see if we can't figure out the place to meet up. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if you're on good behavior. And then we got Woods jumping in. So is there no school tomorrow? You're just playing hooky. No, I'm just staying up too late. Right on. So you and Dano are both victims of the such that's such an interesting podcast you can't even sleep without knowing what happened on our podcast True. it's engineered that way so i won't say sorry i'm just gonna say you're welcome yeah that, you, did. you nailed it <laughs> got people joining us out there i'm all slap happy i got some fucking good news today no it's fucking good news i don't care and uh this is my show right i can swear on my own show um i'm psyched so uh, i've also been in a fucking chat since forever it seems like um, where are we taking it today? What keep? Oh, no, that's your chat. Why am I watching Clover's chat? But I look at our own chat here. Back pocket carry guns. <laughs> I'm watching the chat happen on Clover's replay, <laughs> and I didn't realize I was watching a replay. So I'm seeing all the stupid chats come by. I'm like, look at all the people. Oh, this looks like one of Clover's chats. Okay, so we have 14 people watching, and this is our actual chat. So there's Pancake Bart. Now I know where we are. Uh, okay. I didn't take the dog out, so she's probably mad at me. I've been chatting, and I didn't take a break for take her out. Um, and, and if, if, if I could just talk to the audience for a moment, it's not you. He really is hyped up. Oh, I'm hyped, dude. I know it. And Yankee got me all hyped up with uh, Matt earlier. I don't know if anybody paid attention to that, but uh, we started out that chat talking about the olden days, and then them guys got into one of their old-fashioned, I know better than you about all politics and healthcare. 
and that was one of our old go-tos. So uh, I don't know, maybe that was just a memories that have been years ago, something like that. All right. So um, am I roboting? To you guys? No, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Uh, what do we got? Crackle. I think that's a little bit of clovers, but that's maybe what they're talking about. Um, we're all going to deal with it because whatever. Um, back pocket carry, is this a good idea? We're going to talk about that today. It's Thursday, so it's training day. No wonder Dan will join us. And then what's your CCW? And then we got some other surprises and special guests. And I guess that's it. So where are we going to go with back pocket carry? I'm against it. Yeah, I don't like it either. I don't like sitting on it. I had a wallet gun. Or a wallet, what I should say, a wallet holster for a little P380, because I thought that was clever, but uh, you're sitting on it all the time. So I didn't, I didn't I like Exactly. You know, unless you enjoy sitting on a piece of ununiformed shaped steel, it's generally un very uncomfortable. Well, I'm a big guy, too. I'm assuming that me sitting on a gun all the time is probably bad for the gun. As yeah, well, you know, it's actually one of those things where it's not good for your back because it's going to uh, shift shift your hips. Like a big fat wallet yeah. can mess you up. Yep, exactly. That's a good point, though, about the gun. Yeah, we sit on that thing, and that's got to put stresses on it that I don't think they designed it for necessarily, right? Wasn't there some gun where if you squeeze the grip too tight, the mag popped out? Well, I mean, what are the, you know, you've got a mag release on there anyway, so, you know, depending on how you, on how you sit or shift it or whatever, you know. I mean, it's not like it's one a, in the chamber, you would get, you know, you would get one, one around, but I mean, if the mag was, you know, that, that button had been tripped, then you probably the worst, a second. Worst case there I see is the worst thing that can happen in CCW is a single shot. And then a misfeed, not a malfunction, but a non-feed, because then you're sitting there just pulling the dead trigger. And under stress, you realize that nothing's happening. You're going through the motions, and you're just experiencing, you know, release of stress, but you're not, you're not actually defending yourself. All right. Yep. And so it's like the brings up a point: is back pocket better than off body? Jitters are once put in. Depends on off body, I think. We get into the whole get into the whole off body thing. Guys want to mansplain to women a lot of times about purse carry, for example. And uh, I'll defend the way that my wife has purse carried till the day I die because you know she she carries cross straps, so nobody's just going to jerk her purse away from her, you know. And then the pocket is on the inside. I mean, and it's right there, you know. So imagine a you know a cross draw vest or something. I mean, it's a similar, it's a similar setup to like a, a tactical vest with a cross draw almost. Yeah. You know, if you're set up, if you're set up correctly, you know, off body is, is not that bad of a deal. I think the off body is also a concern. Like when you set your purse down and walk away from it, but obviously you just sure. don't do that when you got a gun in it or whatever. No, that's, that's irresponsible gun ownership at that point. I, you know, that's where I come down on it. But um, the other thing like about what you're talking about, I think, didn't the gun gals do a demo or they're planning on doing a demo where you can have the gun staged in your hand, in your purse, so it's still concealed. You're not brandishing, but you're walking through the parking lot with your hand on your gun. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what my wife does. Yeah. And my wife also, when she takes, they don't have a rule against having a gun at work, so she's never asked. 
but she locks it into her desk when she's at work so nobody can mess with it. But then she has it for going to and from the car because most of women are usually attacked when they're in a parking lot by themselves. If we contrast, you know, that sort of carry with, let's say, going to the previous topic, you know, the rear pocket. And if anything's uncomfortable over time, you're less likely to carry it on, on a regular basis and maybe less likely to carry a period if it's that uncomfortable. Where at least with off-body carry, regardless of what type of off-body carry, you're more likely to carry it a lot more of the time. And that means uh, you're more likely to have it if you ever happen to need it. And that far beats it if it's still at home and you're not. Right. First rule of a gunfight, bring the gun. Yeah. My wife has once said somebody was challenging her that she should have it on her body. And she's like, I'm too little. And where she works, it'd be too obvious, even if it was a really little gun. Um, but then her answer is, I think, beautiful. She said, if off body is not a thing for you, then you shouldn't do that. Meaning how they, however you carry your gun is however you carry your gun. Yeah, I would give them additional ammunition to when somebody's going to mansplain them about it. Like, just give us some stats of where all these guns are being stolen in purses. I mean, I mean, I know purses are <laughs> right. stolen, but right. you know, wouldn't be wouldn't the anti-gunners love it? Wouldn't they love to tell women, "Oh, look, your husband's was lying to you. Look how many guns are stolen and kills. Or, you know, evil happens." Right. Right. Yeah. Well, most women, unless they unless they have just crap in their purse, you know, um, they they guard it pretty well. Because you know, if you've ever if you ever lost a wallet or a purse or something like that, I mean, with credit cards and and social security cards and driver's license and just the vast number of things that can that can be in a in a purse or a wallet, you know. I mean, look at the regardless of I lost my gun, look at the hassle. I, I see the issue is is not so much being theft as is it being much more uh, if if a woman carries too much stuff, whatever that stuff happens to be, and then having a negligent discharge. Well, that has that's why you have a concealed carry purse. Right. But unfortunately, not every every woman is willing to make yeah, that investment. And unfortunately, well, most women don't carry their purse the way they need to in order to protect their thing. Right. It's just like G said with women setting them down, women set them down all the time. So you're, you've got people that are do things responsibly and, you know, in, in a proper way. And then you've got people that you don't, and that runs the spectrum, no matter what we're talking about. But that's the sort of thing that we want to promote is the proper way of, of if you're going to carry off body, carrying it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Responsible is the way I put it. Yes. Yes. Responsibly. Women putting guns in their back pockets. I'm against it. Well, most of them have their cell phone back there, right? So that's true. Can't do that. Yeah. Unless they got that little cell phone, you know, maybe they can switch over to the little cell phone pistol that uh, is out now. Maybe that'll that'll oh, talk about printing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can see a woman's cell phone in her back pocket from like 30 feet away, because half of it's hanging out of the pocket. Well, shame on you, Dan, over looking at the cell phone. That's all I got to say. Exactly. There's better things to be looking at, buddy. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't know what we're going to accomplish. Unfortunately, I'm going to throw this in there. One of the things that prevents us from ever, ever exploring it, even if it was considered a good idea, is the stupid NFA. 
So the NFA says that anything that doesn't look like a gun has to be registered as in any other weapon. So mm-hmm. canes and wallets and uh, pens, right? <clears throat> if a thing looked too much like a cell phone, if it didn't unfold, that would be a DOW. Uh, would require the burden of license of registration and tax, but then also the burden of where you can carry that thing and when, and then the repercussions of having to have your tax stamp potentially and all that. So they really make it a difficult thing. You could have a small enough firearm to probably, you know, potentially be useful. Let's say you're somebody like Midnight, right, where he's standing up for his whole shift. You know, he might sit down for a break here and there, but if something, you know, if he needed something, a back pocket might be a useful place for him. He's not, he might have an apron on or whatever going on in front of him. It's not appropriate to reach forward, right? But, you know, because of the NFA, you can't just have a real... Um, well. Yeah, and, and look at look at the uh, look at the advantage that I think you would have with something like that, with a situation where if there was if there was a higher likelihood wherever you were at of of a mugging, you know, and the guy coming up with a knife or whatever, he says, "Give me your wallet." Well, you're going through the normal motions to give him your wallet, but mm-hmm. that's not what you're fixing to give him. <laughs> Right, and that's so, why. I, so you're not giving anything away by doing that. Whereas if you were pulling up your shirt for appendix carrier three o'clock or trying to, that's not necessarily consistent with going for a wallet. No, exactly. I think that's why they invented those because of that. You know, you're going to do your night drop or whatever, and somebody says something. Sure, let me grab that out of my back pocket for you, and boom, there's lethal consequences for that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what the perception was there or if it was actually going after wallets as much as going after canes or something. But either way, uh, let's blame the NFA for preventing the technology. Because imagine what Taurus or one of these other creative companies might do if that wasn't a burden, if they didn't have to comply with that such a stupid... I think it's more they tried to solve a problem that didn't exist. Right. And they did in such broad strokes that it hindered any development that way. Right. But like you say, that makes a good point. Having something, you know, like ideally a little 25 ACP, 32 ACP, something in center fire, something that's a, a, a semi-auto, but then in your pocket. And then I say small like that because that means that it's narrow and small and it's not going to be a super big bulge in your pocket or bother you back too bad or whatever. But like you're saying, if you're going into some place or whatever, you can have that as your third gun or something. Like that's the problem I have with it is, I mean, sure, you wouldn't want to carry there only. But if you got the gun, why not throw it in your back pocket also? Yeah, that's true. Or like a uh, some kind of pen or something. Oh man, that'd be mm-hmm. better. Pen in your pocket and be able to get a one get off of me type of shot. And we don't talk about it enough. We always again right now there's this like perception that everything has to be self defense against another human being. There are bad guys, but there's less bad guys than there's been almost in all of history. Uh, we do still have the occasional rabid raccoon or you know, dog that runs up and gets, you know, too sniffy or, you know, questionable, or I don't know, I wouldn't shoot a dog probably, but you can, you know, pop around off and a dog's probably going to run away. And, uh, I don't know, you have problems with like, you know, other wild critters where people might live out, you know, Havelina comes running through town or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. So I guess we don't carry on too all night long. We'll look at the member of the day, and I don't know if I have one in here today. Oh, we do. It is Mr. Knives. So each day we try to feature one of the members over at Gun Channels. Gun Channels, a community we built five years ago now. It's uh, 7,000 members altogether, probably 6,000 still 
on the books and I'd say what hundreds that are active daily, probably many dozens at this point that are really active each day that you know, check out the site and everything. And uh, each day we try to feature with somebody over there. And today it's Mr. Knives. Uh, I think most people probably know who he is if you've been around gun channels. He runs open lobbies, uh, rooms like this that he leaves the link out on gun channels so anybody during the day can come in. He's created an environment that a couple of people who are able to jump in from work, jump in on a regular basis. A lot of people know that the room is open, so they jump in during their cigarette breaks or whatever they have during work. There's people that will jump in for a few minutes before they go to work or when they get back from school, and it really creates the the water cooler that Ghost will often refer to, right, so that people right. can just know there's a place to hang out. Well, Dan takes advantage of it, too. Like, let's say you got a question. Hey, I'm debating if I should get this or that jump in you got real human beings who've got some insight and if they don't know somebody like a dead horse or a pawnery hey i saw that six months ago let me go find that website or i'm gonna send you over here mr knife's taking care of it you can buy it well you used to be able to buy a mr knife sticker off of the store i gotta shut the store down when i leave uh, but whenever i get back we got a new mr knife sticker he's sitting on a little scooter and he's got the state of california behind him am i doing a series of every state and a mascot from every state from gun channels i don't know but we have a uh what do you have? We have an outlaw from south carolina and we have a knives from california but who knows but uh if you want to support mr knives directly uh when the store is open uh grab a mr knives sticker that's 25 bucks 20 bucks of that goes to mr knives we just paypal it to him and it's something that i i don't know angelina did the stickers for me and I said, hey, I bet you I can do this and people would be interested. And sure enough, I don't know, maybe 200 bucks by now, which is pretty cool. Mr. Nines isn't exactly wealthy over there. And he's uh, putting out a tremendous amount of effort on the daily. And uh, thanks to the people that have supported him there. It's not an obligation at any means, but, you know, people have uh, helped him out a bit. And I'll let you know that Knives will also buy stuff right back off of me sometimes. So he doesn't keep all that money. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's uh, and and he's been he's been doing it for a long time, and you know it is kind kind of nice being able to you know like even just listening to it like during the day, like I, I may not have the time or yet or whatever to be able to uh, participate in it, but you know turn it on like a radio station to see you know oh are there anybody participating right now? What's the subject that they're talking about? And, and so I find it interesting from that perspective too. I have to give a big shout out to Knives because I kind of did what Dana was saying as I used to listen to the chats and I would comment once in a while. And then he's the one that even told me about, you mean, I kind of knew what gun channels was, but he's the one that convinced me one day to go over to gun channels and kind of walk me through how to even join these chats and how to set up the Google stuff and all that. And he's a super helpful dude. And I really appreciate what he does. Um, yeah, one of the people I met when I went over to California, I met up with him. We drove up to this one gun shop, and he got his permit that you have to get in there in California in order to even be eligible to purchase a firearm. So that was pretty cool. Um, the one problem with Mr. Knives, and I think we all know it, but we don't like to talk about it, is that because he has the body shape he has with them stubby little arms and big, like, domed back, is he can't really fit into a windbreaker at all. <gasps> and speaking of windbreakers, it's time. It's time. It's time for the tactical pop quiz. That's what? right, ladies and gentlemen. 
Put your pencils down, limber up your fingers, get that keyboard set right in front of you, because it is fine. Is that really happening? Is this legal? It's really happening. Yeah. I'm going to suggest that we limit it to people who are watching this hour on the Gun Channel side. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was just going to ask, uh, who would be like to be my lovely assistant? Uh, that'll be Gary. <laughs> okay, Gary, are you still awake? Yeah, of course. I wasn't sure if the cat had like gouged into your face while you were muted or not. No such luck, no. Okay, so if you have you seen the answer in the side chat? I have. Okay, so the question is as follows: Every year, the Gun Rights Policy Conference has an annual event. So the question is, what are the dates? of the Gun Rights Policy Conference. And by the way, in addition to that, if you are interested in going, you can still sign up for it if are you are that inclined. Free lunch both days and have an opportunity to rub elbows with the founders, uh, organizers, and uh, financiers of all the gun owners' rights groups? Yes, it's being held in Rosemont, Illinois, which is, uh, although they're saying in Chicago, it's actually Rosemont, uh, but uh, it's it literally is surrounded by Chicago, so. It is. Uh, we'll here airport, there's like Chicago. We have a winner. Oh, 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 we have oh, oh, a winner, oh, oh. Jay Monty, 1738. Jay Monty? Jay Monty, 1738. Jay Monty, I can't say the whole thing, but Jay Monty, congratulations. Today, you are the tactical hot shot for today. Congratulations, Jay Monty. And since we're doing it unusual, just zap me a uh, address to send something to, and we'll send you something. Yes. And at this time of night, that really hurt my throat. <laughs> I appreciate it. Luckily, you know, might have something cold and soothing to put on his throat later. Yes. A cough drop would be nice. <laughs> So that, if you're not familiar, back in the earlier days of the Daily Gun Show, what are we talking? Probably episodes 200 through 400 or something in there, 450? Ten months. There was a way, quite a while we did the Daily Gun Show. We did it in that type of format. We had some fun, and the windbreakers are a whole other story, but I figured it'd be good tonight. I'm all, I'm all I used to play like a little a little sound effect of like machine guns, and then I would do that. It's time. It's time. And it, Anyway, it's a throwback. And maybe and you should stay a, there. I don't know. <laughs> everybody had a chance today because Angry's sleeping right now and Pondery's sleeping right now. They pretty right. much exactly because they used to nail that thing pretty much. It was like a tennis match between them, ninety percent of the time. And they would guess correctly the most archaic questions I would come up with. Yeah, it was Old real stuff, good. new stuff. It didn't matter. Live uh, show being entertaining. That part was entertaining to see us come up with crazy questions and then how quickly they would be able to come up with them. There's no way they were Googling them. So they yeah. Would longer to type in the search phrase and then to find it than it would for them to come up with the answer. Like in, in 1872, for four months, such and such uh, gun inventor had an assistant. What was the assistant's name? So, since it looks like people aren't aware of it on the gun channel side or on the YouTube side, Let's take a second and talk about it again. It's the 33rd annual. So Alan Gottlieb, who is the founder and guy that runs the Second Amendment Foundation, started when he was 24 years old in 1971. 
He started an organization called the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, the CCKRB. And that organization, along with the Second Amendment Foundation, starting in 1984, started to assemble the gun owners' rights groups at the national and state levels, uh, as well as the groups that are involved in different areas of interest. And brought them all together and each year they go they alternate between a gun friendly state and the non-friendly state and they assemble and and they offer two days two days and a night worth of uh, like we mentioned uh, rubbing elbows with the people that founded these organizations the people that run these organizations and the people that fund these organizations being there with the, the people that make these organizations happen is is it's enthusiastic what's the word it's enthusing i don't know what the word is um very it's very uh in, in very awesome environment to be in that room and uh the first day they will get together and say hello there'll be drinks and whatever snacks and things so people can be comfortable and chat uh the next morning everything starts up it's like a seminar it's like a conference literally uh there'll be a usually the conference room of a hotel. It's nice and comfortable, bathrooms and everything available. Um, they'll have a catered lunch. Each of the organizations will take the stage. They'll give you a sit rep of what they've been doing, what's coming up, what they might need, what they can offer. Some of the groups like the doctors or the, I don't know, the different areas of interest can take the stage as groups and they'll again talk about what they're up to. If it's sometimes authors or researchers, uh, they'll give the awards for the um, sort of like the we call them the uh, activists of the year and uh, the um, writer or blogger you know they'll have different uh, acknowledgments of people who've been putting forth great efforts and uh, each day the lunch is catered it's absolutely free you're going to walk away with a giant stack of second amendment books from the libraries of these organizations and you'll be able to network and be amongst the most uh, adamant second amendment advocates ever uh, this year it's in Chicago, like Dano said, in Rosemont, which is, if you look at the map of Illinois, Chicago, and then there's O'Hare Airport, the big airport. Rosemont is right next to O'Hare on the Chicago side. So it's literally, like Dano said, enveloped by Chicago. They make it uncomfortable like that every other year so that we, people in Arizona, people whoever state you might be listening from, travel to a state like that. So we experience at least a little bit of what Dano has to deal with every single day. And uh, I think that's healthy, and I personally uh, look forward to it. I go to California unarmed occasionally so that I don't just theoretically know. I mean, it's been a long time since I ever bought one gun on a 10-day waiting period, and it, I still feel that. So uh, I think it's good that they do it kind of alternating like that. Uh, anyway, we'll throw a link down so anybody that wants to, like Dano said, the um, uh, still open. You're still able to... Uh, Sign up, and they say that this thirty-third year should be the largest turnout ever. Right, and and they and they they don't charge you to to register for this. Not at all. So if you register and you're not able to, no harm, no foul. There's more books, more lunch for the rest of us. Yep. You know, one thing I'd be interested in finding out is uh, if the uh, conference is if they've labeled that building uh, a no carry zone because by law it's not. It's up to the owners of the conference center or where it's being held. Uh, when are they going to be sending out information? You signed up online. I've got my con like my remember the thing email just days ago, so it was relatively recent that they sent out. Did you get some kind of a letter that said remember it's coming? 
I did not. And I, in fact, that was something I meant to ask you at some point is when did they usually get them out? Well, that's a good question. I don't, I wish I could have gone every single year. Uh, I, I, I register, but then I ignore it. So I just go. But um, this year I registered February or January whenever I started putting up the videos on YouTube. Like in January, whenever I knew the dates, I made a video for each month. And then, like, as a reminder to let people know it's coming and to put it on the schedule, that's when I registered. So I registered. Uh, I have mute, Clover. It's, now it's being more persistent. Yeah. You may have stepped away. Oh, let me mute him. Okay, sorry, Clover. You were, it was being more persistent. Maybe he was fiddling with it right now. Or maybe he was talking and it's that bad. Maybe it's dying. Oh. We'll find out. He knows how to unmute. All right. So, again, thanks for um, right up. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, yeah, you bet. And, uh, you know, we built the, or we do this show. It goes out to iTunes, it goes out to uh, other places. I don't get it to iHeartRadio, I don't get it to uh, Spotify, but um, it'll go out to a couple of different platforms. A couple of people will listen to this. So, I appreciate that you asked the question because that allowed us to mention it again um anyway so yeah that's uh coming up thanks dano for giving us a little bit of uh the daily pop quiz um better, better now, yeah yeah a lot better uh just fyi i do i uh, the technical quiz lives it's just on a hiatus but we are planning to bring that back in full full speed eventually um but let's move on to what is your ccw that's an easy one Let's start with Clover with the recently clear mic. Uh, primary Glock forty two. Right on. Yeah, awesome, uh, awesome pistol. Um, very comfortable to shoot. Very fun to shoot. Which, of course, I mean, if you're not uh, comfortable and confident with it and all of that good stuff, what's the point? Um, it's and being fun. I mean, you get out on the range and and shoot and have fun with it. And I mean, anytime you're, you're sending lead down range, that's working on your, you know, working on your skills a little bit. So let's expand it. Since there's only five of us in here, what's your full, I mean, you carry more than a gun. So what's your full CCW? What's the, what's the stuff you bring? Like along? the whole, like yeah. the whole loadout. Um, Typically, I mean, you got the Glock 42. Sometimes that switches over to that Taurus uh, Protector Poly 38. Sometimes I go revolver. Uh, for the most part, I carry outside waistband, um, and then cover it with a t-shirt or something like that. Because we can open carry here in Texas, so um, it doesn't really matter if it prints or your shirt rides up. Um, extra magazine, typically uh, in a pocket if I'm going uh, Glock 42. A lot of times I have that uh, belt. Still using this. Um, this true spec two ply range belt i really i really do like it it's it seems to be holding up um cigarette lighter for uh other reasons than just uh smoking a pipe but uh you know you, you can put that in your fist even kind of gives you something to hold on to if you was to need to um a pen always great uh pocket knife and then that that varies my my pocket knife varies it just kind of depends uh, I've got several that um, that I kind of rotate through with that. Um, what else? Um, the uh, Gerber 9 multi-tool a lot of times. Uh, and my um, 
what is it, the stream light? I think it's the micro stream, the little one battery light. Is that the micro stream? So I've also got the two that usually stays on my my range bag or or whatever in the truck. But the yeah, the little one, the one battery light uh, in in the pocket. So that's pretty much the loadout for for that. Right on. How about Gary? Well, it's going to be pretty similar. Uh, pretty much every day, I've got the Glock forty two. I uh, typically pocket carry, so it's in a it's in a DeSantis Nemesis pocket holster, and uh, also like Clover and I swear I'm not trying to shadow the man or anything, but I do carry a Gerber dime multi tool in the my small jeans pocket. Also, as far as lights go, I don't typically carry one on body. Uh, if I need one, I usually just use my iPhone, but. Uh, on a typical day that I'm going light and I don't have my backpack with me, that's what I've got on me now. If I've got my backpack, I've got everything on me. But oh my goodness, I'm doing everything I can possibly do to not mansplain about that flashlight situation. So we'll move on to Dano. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, for, for me, it kind of varies whether I'm working or not. Uh, if, if I'm not working, uh, it's uh, a Glock 26 on my hip and I've, have a wilderness tactical uh, gun belt it's actually the first gun belt i ever purchased uh, uh in fact um g webs you were the one that kind of guided me to them it's one of those where it's a nylon on the outside with a kydex uh, in the center so it's got that kydex sandwich so to speak and it's it almost is, like uh well kydex makes me think even thicker i think it's more like a milk jug type of plastic it's not you know it's because it's not like you're Oh, I got this belt on. Ouch! You know, it's it's stiff, but it's not inflexible. Right. I mean, it it bends around your circumference, but it doesn't twist in any other uh, directions. Doesn't curl either. It's a made in the USA belt. I you know I like that, but I mean, most people you hear, especially with holsters. This has happened to me where I've I had to buy numerous holsters before I actually found one and discovered what worked with with the way I carry in my body type and so forth. But anyway, so wilderness tactical belt that I really like a lot. And uh, for a long time, I was, I was searching um, for a way to carry a, a magazine. And I, I've tried a couple different things that didn't diff, different things didn't work about them. And then uh, uh, for when I am working, uh, what I do is I have that same setup. Plus I also carry a Glock 43 uh, in a vest. Uh, so that I have access for different angles for when I'm sitting in a vehicle versus if I'm outside a vehicle. Um, I also carry a uh, Olight flashlight uh, that I can uh, look from, you know, 100 feet away, you know, something like address on a building or, or something like that. I also carry a Leatherman uh, that um, I've used for, I mean, it's a multi-purpose tool. I've used it for multiple different little things here and there. I mean, and it has a knife on it. So, and uh, I don't, I've never been trained in the use of, of a, a knife in self-defense. I have a knife, but I don't consider that part of my self-defense um, routine, so to speak, because I have zero training in it. Uh, so I don't carry that sort of knife with me. I carry it for utility purposes. I carry my firearm or firearms uh, for if I need to, to defend myself. Um, and... Uh, I may have missed something, but I think that's it. 
Uh, oh, I carry a, um, I guess it's not on body carry, so I wouldn't say that. Never mind. That's true, because if we start getting into bags and stuff, then obviously, yeah, then we'll be here for a while. So, Woods, you're in um, the West, you're an educator. Yeah, well, um, so if I'm at work, that would be none of the guns. Um, that, but I always park across the street, so those all have to stay locked in my glove box. Um, my everyday carry is my SP 101 because there are some of us are revolver guys. Um, I like my big heavy gun. Other people can make fun of me, but I like it. And then I've got a little Ruger uh, LCP that I generally have in my pocket, um, assuming I'm not at school. Um, flashlight, I I buy I lose the expensive flashlight, so I never spend more than about twenty five bucks. But I get those little Cree ones at the Bass Pro. That's about two blocks from my house. Um, I've got a little Snap On uh, multi tool that's kind of like a Leatherman, but I've had it forever. And, um, the knife I've been carrying is a little Benchmade I've had for a long time. Um, yeah, it's that's all. I, well, and then a phone, and but that's all I can think of. Right you know, the other the part about a light is, like as an example, I primarily work in the evenings when it's either you know, like let's say the last two hours before sundown, and then you know into the wee hours of the morning. So uh, for me, a, a flashlight, I'm using it pretty much every day. Uh, that, that that I'm that I'm working. Where if I didn't work at night, uh, I I may not necessarily carry one on a daily basis. But if I was like about to go on a road trip, I would absolutely carry it out there because you know through decades prior, I've tr had to change somebody else's spare tire without a flashlight when it's dark outside. And that can be quite a trick trying to find you know align the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The, the the jack to the frame of the car and you know things like that when it's pitch black outside you know having a light can be very very nice even when it's not pitch black out and if you've done it on like a big lighted highway that creates a lot of shadow they put so much light out there to be able to see you know going fast that it's a lot of light so you can get some massive shadow underneath your vehicle uh, trying to find like you're saying the matchup point or a little uh what nut that fell down or something right all right, so I'm I'm also flexible depending on what I'm doing. So if I'm loaded for bear, I got the 41, which is the 45 long slide Glock, which gives me the room for the Surefire light underneath of it, where they still meet up up front. Uh, in other words, the light doesn't uh, look like an underbite under a shorter uh, slide, and I'm big enough to be able to carry that. I carry that inside the waistband, and a holster is made for me by a guy here in Tucson, a Kydex holster. And then I'll carry a second mag for that one. And then I always carry, and that's if I'm loaded for bear. So what I mean by that is if I'm going somewhere where I'm going to be around stuff that costs a lot of money. I've been to shooting events before. There had to be millions of dollars of guns. I'm not even exaggerating. I, I mean, I go to SHOT Show, that's a million guns. I mean, it's millions of dollars worth of guns. But I've been to just private shooting events where there's been a lot of money worth of guns sitting there. Or just a lot of guns, period. Not much, so much money. But um, I don't like going down range. Even if I'm out in the middle of nowhere, especially when I'm out in the middle of nowhere, actually, I don't like going down range with my empty guns behind me, and I'm not going to bring all my guns with me. So the way that you deal with that is you bring loaded guns down range with you so that if someone decides this is the time to run out and cause trouble with your stuff, whether it be your dog or your kids or whoever else is back there by the firing line or your stuff, 
then uh, you've got at least something to deal with that. So uh, that, and if I'm, you know, you never know what's going on. So I'll, I like two guns. Uh, so I'll have the, the Glock 41 on me, and then I always have the uh, 357 LCR uh, in a pocket holster. So a Safari Land, kind of just a clamshell-looking thing that it covers the gun so it doesn't get full of lint and whatever, and it covers the trigger, but I can just pull it out of there, and I can reholster it, more importantly. I can put it back in my pocket and reholster it without having to fiddle with anything. Um, I usually carry a knife, a pocket knife or whatever. I don't I don't live in a fantasy land where I'm knife fighting anyone. So I'd rather have two guns and no fighting knife. I don't have fighting knives. I keep those at home for looking at. And then uh, uh, light. I definitely am a big advocate of lights. In fact, I would probably feel less comfortable without a light than without a second gun. Um, I live in a world where it's dark half of the time, and I go into places that can be dark all the time. So... Uh, I mean, if you've been in a place where the lights went out before, where there's no lights, it gets pretty dark in the middle of the day. Um, so I like having a task light, and depending on the situation, something more sizable, something with two CR3123s, something with, what is that, six bolts? Uh, so that can throw out some massive coverage. I see big potential. You go out into a parking lot, and there's some dude standing there, and you're not sure what, and, you know, you're not going to not go to your car. You're not going to go call the police because there's some guys standing there. But if you accidentally flood them with a you know, 500 plus lumen light, they know that you're somebody who has a light on, if nothing else. And if they all look up and they look like they're minding their business and they're offended that you even looked over, you know you've got data. If they look up and they look like a bunch of cockroaches that scurry, you've got additional data, right? So I like flashlights. I like them a lot. Um, we'll mansplain flashlights in the future because of you guys. Yeah. But um, uh Multi-tools is something I don't carry, and I know a lot of people do, but I think uh, I used to when I was a kid. I didn't carry a gun so much. And there was a time when I didn't carry a gun. We didn't have constitutional carry here. I didn't have my CCW permit. I would carry a Leatherman back then for just what Clover said. You put a sizable piece of metal in your fist, and you got a lot more potential, and you just feel more able, right? It's like having a pair of gloves on. You're no different. It's just that now all of a sudden you can tackle difficult jobs because you got a pair of gloves on. You know, if you're holding the roll of quarters, that's one thing. But if you're holding like a Gerber multi-tool that's you know closed or whatever in your hands, it's uh, it's confidence and it's what there's all kinds of things you can do with that. Something that I also really liked about you know going to two guns instead of one gun with a uh, with a uh, spare magazine is let's say that I, I I get pushed down to the ground on my on my back. Well, because I carry two and they're drawable from two different physical positions. One, I might be uh, not be able to get out easily, yet the other one uh, is on my chest. So now it's still e not difficult to get it out, you know, you know, if I, if, if I need it. Because the, the other reason for having, whether it be a second gun or a spare magazine, is in case you have a problem with your primary magazine. It's not that you're going to need, you know, 30-some rounds for the fight, because if you do, there's something else going on. It's in case of a, of a failure, of a magazine failure. Yeah, or something happens and you just dropped your gun in the lake. <laughs> yeah, dang. It still works, but it's at the bottom of the lake right now. Yep. Hosh jumped in from California. Thanks for joining. We started an hour late, so we're still mid-show right now. Uh, we're talking CCW loadout. Nice. Thank you for the invite. Yeah, I, I saw that. Um, I, think you, I think I mentioned it before, you know, California, particularly L.A. County, not very friendly to CCW, um, although at the times I do carry, which there are times where I do carry, um, I generally carry a Ruger LCP. 
something that I can put in a pocket. Um, I also have known to have two guns, and that's sometimes an NAA revolver. I know that's not the most perfect thing. Um, my wife just walked in. She's standing next to me. And I have a whole other bunch of stuff I carry, but obvious reasons. There's certain limitations if you don't have a CCW in California yep. or the county you're in. We've been talking full loadout, though, so knives and lights. Oh, okay. So uh, let me switch around here. That's the advantage of having so many damn cameras. That's the wrong camera. One of the things I forgot there when I started saying phones, because I didn't say phone either, but obviously I think we all carry a phone, right? Um, yeah. I've been, ever since Jaeger's first aid class, and I don't, people that listen to this know I'm a big fan of Jaeger. He's personally been a friend of mine since at least 2004, and uh, has helped my projects out immensely. He's a salt of the earth, excellent dude. I know he's got some crazy perceptions out there. Doesn't matter. Um, his first aid class. I'm a I'm a registered nationally registered EMT. It's expired, but I've gone through EMT class and um, gone through Jaeger's um, what do they call it immediate action medical. And yeah. I've I've always gone back when I was a young and little young Eagle Scout, just a whippersnapper. I heard some advice. If you cannot remember the name of your last first aid instructor, it's time to take another first aid class. So if that means going to the fire department and taking a first responder type of thing that they do as like a little certificate for like, you know, childcare or for a restaurant manager or somebody like that, or if it's something more substantial at a community college, uh, maybe a semester's worth of uh, EMT prep or some other kind of medical there, if it's Red Cross, if it's anything, whatever you want to do, um, that was that was one of my little tips I heard back in the day, and then when I I lived that. If I am no longer able to remember the, my last instructor's name, I take another class, and so I've taken multiple classes over the years. For a little while, I dabbled with the idea of being a wilderness EMT, which is a EMT, which is not a paramedic; it's an emergency uh, medical technician. So uh, I was going to be a wilderness EMT, which is just a little bit more hardcore than a regular EMT, but without having the responsibilities of a paramedic, which I did not in, have any interest in pursuing um, a career in medicine or whatever. I just liked acquiring the skills and it's a way that you can help maybe as a search and rescue volunteer or you know any emergency service type of volunteer or something. Um, anyway, so I've taken a couple of classes towards that and Jaeger's Immediate Action Medical is the same as his, his firearms classes I can tell you about the immediate action medical. There's certain things about the firearms class that I would be, I would be taking from you if I told you about them. It's not that they're secrets, but there's learning points that if you know about them ahead of time, you no longer can learn from them. So I am. And, and not all of his classes have that aspect or those right. aspects. In but a couple of them do, and that's why I remain vague about it. It's not because I am trying to entice anybody to go there. It's just that I don't want to ruin it if you ever do go there, and I just think it's douchebaggery to. Uh, ruin and someone's experience at all and we do these things like we talked about before they go online and they exist So I'll never talk about those things, but on the media action medical I can tell you what you are going to experience number one You're going to go into a room with a bunch of other people and you're going to be grabbing people's testicles You're going to be grabbing them up in the crotch You're going to be touching them on every single part of their body and other people are going to touch you that might sound weird or weird Or whatever your problem is with that. We all have those problems, but a real medical class it's going to teach you how to apply a tourniquet correctly and in the right spot. And that means getting into what we consider in a normal day-to-day -day and appropriate places. But I'll tell you what, if you're my friend and I go down, 
I expect you to move my button on nutsack out of the way to see if a two, two, three round went up into my crotch and is somewhere up into my abdomen. I, I expect you to know how to do that. And I'd expect you to assume that I can do the same for you to save your freaking life. So it's that kind of class. You're going to not only learn some like straight to the bone, hardcore medical stuff, including stabbing uh, needles through ribs. Like they're going to bring in a slab of raw ribs from pork or whatever it is. And you're going to learn what it's like to, to feel the tactical, not tactical, tactile um, release when you get through the meat. You know, you're going to learn what that sensation is. So the first time you're learning that sensation isn't on your, I don't want to get too emotional, but on someone you love. Uh, you're going to learn all that and you're going to experience it. And then you're going to take it out into the whatever situation they've got at every place I've been. It's been indoors. But wherever you are, they're going to then take you through fire, real fire scenarios with blue guns or uh, simunition type of rounds. And you're going to then do that first aid stuff while you're getting shot at, while you're in a Kobayashi whatever, Subaru, whatever that thing was. Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, where there's a no-win situation, you're going to be under fire with your loved one dying, and you're going to experience the frustration of not being able to do anything. It's beyond what you're ever going to really experience, but so that you can actually experience what first aid is. Um, the closest thing I've ever seen is a, is a course where they mentioned first aid. So um, a shooting course where they mentioned first aid. But Jaeger's class is freaking awesome. And I, I, I've never heard anybody who's uh, explained a, a class that's any better. Um, so there might be, I just don't know of them. But anyway, ever since I took his class, what I'm getting at is I carry a tourniquet. He made excellent, excellent points in there. Everything hit right to the bone and we carry things to pop holes. We've heard this before, so you might as well carry something to stop a hole. Great. Why you have to pop holes in the first place? You don't just pop holes because you're angry and somebody took your parking spot. It's because somebody's hurting you or your loved ones. So if somebody's hurting you or your loved ones and you've taken care of it, let's take care of your loved ones, right? So there's a lot of complicated or fancy looking tourniquets. Um, there's development in tourniquets big time right now. We live in a really exciting time because tourniquets went from something you never use to something that has application. And I find the best one personally for me is the SWAT tourniquet. It's just a giant rubber band all folded up. It's about the size of a pack of cigarettes, maybe a little thinner. Uh, for me, it fits in pockets real easily, ankle type of stuff. And I didn't mention that, but I do carry a, a SWAT T. Pretty much any time because you can be in a like dano said you can be in an auto accident you can have a dog bite you can have a kid fall off a tree or something and have use for that i the swat tourniquet i like because it's rubber it's just a rubber band uh, i could use that on the dog if the dog had a problem uh, or paw or something um anyway so i didn't mention tourniquet before but that's one of those things that lately people have been more aware of that and i just want to make sure that we touch on that now kosh can go yeah, I didn't mention anything on that subject soon because I carry a little kit with me wherever I go, but I, it's not on my body. Like, I, I not only take it to the range with me, and then I, it's literally sitting right next to me in case I ND myself in the leg or someone else does something, but in case I'm driving down the road and I come across some car accident. Yeah. Yeah, my my whole med kit stuff is it's, it's in the truck. I mean, and it's usually really close, but... Yeah, I fail. I fail when it comes to, you know, on body. Care. The easiest way to to prove that is right now you need to make a tourniquet. I mean, good luck. Even if you got a belt on, good good luck trying to apply that. I mean, well, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I really need to get one of those SWAT tourniquets. And what do you What do you think? I don't of want to the... get all bad about it, but a little yeah, yeah. a little kid has a lot less blood than us. They bleed out way faster than us. Sure. 
What do you think of the CAT uh, tourniquet, the CAT one? That's what I prefer. It's what I carry on my AR-15. I have one on my stock with bungee cord, uh, not bungee, but, you know, 550 shock cord. Mm -hmm. uh, I carry them on my bags, uh, same way, so that they're outside of any trauma kit. I only carry trauma kits. I don't carry anything called a first aid kit or a boo-boo kit. I don't own Band-Aids. I don't care if you get a scrape, go deal with it at Walgreens. We all live within walking distance of a Walgreens. I don't live within walking distance of uh, EMT, so I carry a tourniquet, clean gauze, and maybe a uh, uh, more cost. Or yeah, so. but you know, let me just address that for an issue. I've been on a range. In fact, it was down at tactical response where I was bleeding down my arm. And, uh, and if it wasn't for that kid I had in the back, they had nothing to stop the bleeding in my hand. Um, uh, so I had to self treat and I was able to do so, but, uh, you know, carrying some of those basics, you know, having some four by fours, having, you know, s some stuff to, you know, to clean out the wound that doesn't necessarily need stitches, but it's still bleeding because certain parts of the body, you bleed like a stuck pig. Sure, sure. But that's the kind of stuff you can keep in a vehicle. I'm talking for your, for your immediate dying. It's just right. all blood. We don't, I mean, you can die from not lack of air, but that's not a device. Right, but you don't want something where there's no access to clean water. You can't flush out the wound on, on a gun range. Okay, oh. okay, that's a good point. Yeah, but well, I guess what, I um, think on the body type of thing. I've got a question with it, with it, you know, the whatever the t tactical medical training or whatever. Do they go through all the CPR stuff as well with that? Fuck no, no, no. You don't. You don't well, have a, any uh, of that. No, it's not a first aid class. It's immediate action medical. So it's all holes and holes. That's Macerations. it. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not like oh, you. This is a full first aid thing. No, it's just like military training. You know, military stopping, stopping blood basically. That's the only thing that you're going to die from. You're going to die from, you know, three, three, and three. You're going to die in three minutes from air, three minutes, sorry, three, no, whatever it is, uh, 30 seconds of, no, what is it, three minutes? Three, of, minute, three minutes for air, three days for water, three weeks for food. Oh, no, it's something. But anyway, uh, air like is totally different. You don't carry anything for air. I mean, you open up an airway with your fingers or with body adjustment. You don't die from not breathing. At least you don't eat. You don't really treat. Somebody's dying from not breathing. However, bleeding into uh, any kind of major artery, you bleed out as fast as your heart can pump the blood out. So that's where a tourniquet can be a massive. But yeah. not the tourniquet. A tourniquet is only applicable to legs, arms, and sometimes like a shoulder or a neck. But um, uh, mostly it's, uh, uh, well, there is some airway. I shouldn't say that. You do stick a nasal phrasal thing down your neck or down your nose. But um, so that because that's an easy thing to carry. That's the, about the only thing you can carry as a regular person. You're not going to start going down their throats and stuff. Uh, but mostly it's uh, gauze, gauze, clean gauze, uh, accordion style gauze, uh, clogging holes is what it's about. But really, this is about gunfights and um, the aftermath of a gunfight. And that's holes. So they, they don't care about blisters or you know, how to treat sunburn or anything as casual as any of that stuff. And CPR just falls into that. CPR is somebody who's having a heart attack um, or some kind of a you know, major shutdown inside themselves. Uh, not so, I mean, you might go into shock or something, and they don't get into that either, uh, very briefly. It's really just immediate action medical. So it's, right. I should say, it's not a complete first aid class at all, and they'll preface the whole thing with that. It's really just the down and dirty, let's stop somebody from getting... Uh, bled out and then at the same time you're never going to go to a medical class where you're getting shot at like just having to add that additional level of stress that you know the engineered stress uh, makes your uh, 
makes you see all the failures you have because everybody sees a tourniquet and goes, oh, I got the concept. That's easy. I've been to some medical classes from Chappie back in the day when uh, when it was Cav Arms was having some issues because Cav Arms used to have their receivers made off site with a variance. And the ATF came and said, nope, that's no good. So they shut them down. Cav Arms is, uh, you know, a big company here in Arizona that was uh, Second Amendment advocates. They supported a lot of shooting teams, youth shootings and youth shooting teams and things. Uh, so a lot of people came to their defense uh, financially. And one of the things that was done was a uh, kind of a benefit first aid training. And that was with Chappie, a SWAT cop out of California who now runs uh, EAG, I think. And uh, that was one of the first times I have experienced, even in EMT school is nothing, because EMT school is like, is like uh, being in a hospital. It's like procedure and it's like, you know, learning everything. Uh, this was apply this tourniquet to yourself. And that was the first time I had somebody say, apply this tourniquet to yourself. So good luck trying to apply a tourniquet to yourself if you've never gone through it before. The, la the last thing you want to do is try to apply a tourniquet to yourself for the first time. Uh, that's a skill that takes a bit of figuring out. Um, to do it right and to do it well. And even in that class, nobody's moving a testicles aside to, to get it, or at least getting into that level of intimacy. But yeah, when your, uh, your friend goes down and it's because shots have gone off and you don't, you know, number one, how do you uh, do the triage? How do you detect it? And then two, where do you start looking? So, I mean, it's, it's a one day class. I'm not going to suggest you come out of it as an EMT. I'm just saying as far as uh, having experienced EMT in other classes, they take the extract, the stuff that you need for, for a firefight, a gunfight, and drop it on you in mass, 100%, no filters, stuff that you're never going to need. But by understanding what the processes are, you're better able to facilitate the medical people that do show up. And in an austere situation, you could potentially at least not experience it for the first time. You know what it should look like. So if you have to wing it because there's no other option, you know, you're you're not qualified, but at least you've seen it done before. You've, you've experienced it more than just theoretically had it mentioned to you in a class one time. Now, do you, do you say get the, that type of immediate training? I'm echoing for some reason. Is that me? Um, on top of like the first aid CPR stuff? Oh, yeah. Only people that really, really want to know what the real deal is should bother with immediate action medical. I'm not suggesting it's for everybody. I mean, my, I mean, I've had the, the first aid CPR stuff for a long time, and my thing is, you know, I'm, I'm, the odds are far greater that I would be out on the range and a friend, you know, clutches chest and hit the ground or, you know, a right. kid, you know, trips and breaks a bone or, you know, something like that. That, that would be more usable, I guess. Sure. Odds no, are right. it would be used more, yeah. It's definitely, it's not a replacement for anything. It's just taken the advanced level of, what would happen with a gunshot? It's right? in addition right. to the Red Cross CPR and first aid would be immediate action medical in addition right. to. Well, let me give you that. If you have the option of a local community college that does EMT, take classes there first. Red Cross, shit, I don't like Red Cross. If you have a next option, take wilderness EMT because sometimes those are like eight hour classes instead of eight semester hours. Um, but take real medical training. Red Cross stuff it is obligatory like I need right. to do my daycare job and they go, oh, first aid. And then they give you a CPR dummy and then you got your call. And the curriculum is politically driven. You're right. But they are nationwide and everywhere. That's why I mention it. I hear you. I just saying you're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to be bored. It's like going to. Yes. You're, you're going to leave the class because I've, I've take I've taken them a couple of times. Uh, last one was two years ago. So I'm about due to, to take it again. 
but um, you're going to leave it want, wanting more information than what you got. But but at least you got something versus nothing. Now, now let me say, if you got kids, then shame on you if you haven't taken the, CP, the Red Cross right. CPM because for that, it's brilliant. You definitely want experience working on a dummy or knowing what everything to do for every size kid because as soon as the kid starts growing, it's different CPR all along. Yep. Our insurance actually uh, had us go to the the hospital and learn with nurses uh, before we had our first kid. Like that was part of their training they offered. It was pretty cool. Was it like you have to, or like here's an option for you? It was. It wasn't one of those like have to things, but it was like suggested over and over and over. And we were pretty proactive, so we're like, yeah, of course we're going to take this. But yeah, they gave you different dummies of different kids as they get older and, and you go through and it was, uh, it was not just choking. It was other, you know, topical first aid. They didn't go down to tourniquets though. That's well, probably the but, level. But joking is where is far more common thing to actually happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they went through Heimlich and all that. I mean, yeah. Okay. I don't want to get off the topic. I, I, I like what Jules was saying about the tourniquet stuff. And, and I, I agree that basically everything other than that is kind of in a different realm it's like a venn diagram right they they touch on the on the edges there but that's a different kind of skill right particularly if it's in the heat of the moment for sure that's like the long range precision shooting if you decide to go that way go for it there's value but it's not like everybody who shoots needs to take that level of skill right but it's definitely just to say i guess i was just saying it's the reason why i started that whole thing is because that was such an uh i don't call it inspiration it was such an eye-opening class though that i've carried a tourniquet since um like i say, it's so easy it's just a wadded up piece of rubber in your pocket the only thing that it's bad about it is i keep getting transmission fluid on it so i had to get another one which one's that the the swat one the swat i had in my like in my pants that i usually wear have like pockets down by your ankles or whatever like yeah uh, leg pocket so i usually keep it in there whenever my van was dying you know i had transmission fluid soak into it and everything but you know so they, they're perishable you want to get you want to move you asked about a cat before uh they're more clunky they've, they've got a metal windlass and stuff so yeah uh, like there's a big clunky thing to it so i don't mind having it on my gun i don't mind having it on my backpack that i carry everywhere with me in the van uh and i don't mind having it on my range bag but it, because it's so clunky i don't carry it it's too big it's like carrying around giant flashlight from the olden days yeah, there's a guy I follow on Instagram. He's like a survivalist dude, and he would he would do comparison videos between the it's not the SWAT, but it's a similar one that has it's like an elastic band. Um, it's not a fat band though; it's like a thick Fifth kind of band. Tea, the stretch wrap is that what it is? Maybe and it looks like a big red stretchy cord. Yeah, and it's got this weird thing that looks like a pool cue bridge um, towards yep. one end of it. Okay, yeah. So he he was like, you know, I don't ever carry this anymore because if you ever only had one hand, you're not going to be able to really be effective with it. So that's why he carries the CAT tourniquet. And I'm like, I, I can see what he's saying. But again, it's like you can't have both. It doesn't mean you can't have, you know, one or the other. They still haven't gotten to Hosh's EBC here or his CCW, but uh, Caleb said, do you guys have any suggestions for someone who's short on time? Any online classes or anything? That's a good question. Yeah, so, FEMA. Uh, Pantani, uh, Pantio. I bet you they have uh, some. There's uh, a, a, a YouTube channel. Uh, the guy does a lot of just uh, do-it-yourself uh, medical things called Skinny Medic. Oh, Skinny Medic's Ow. good. 
He's, he's he, in the past couple of years. He's also gotten into an online store. You can or cannot go down that road. But I'm talking about just how to use the equipment. Period. Like the, if you're talking about online and actually getting, you know, a, a card certification, you know, you're worried about, you know, having a credential. Um, American Heart Association. Uh, you do. You can opt to do that online, and it's pretty comprehensive. Uh, and they have first aid along with the CPR and even an outdoor first aid and quite a few other things. And then you've got to go in once you do your um, online, then you schedule with a local person. That's like giving the all day class or whatever. But all you do basically is go in and you demonstrate the skills. That's and pretty then, cool. And then you're done. Yeah. You, so you go in like at the end of class, right? <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you, oh, come in from, you know, the class is from nine to three. So come in at, you know, two, you know, be here at two and then. You know, you just go in and you do CPR on the baby and on the toddler and on the whatever. And then you, you know, got to apply a tourniquet and use an EpiPen and, you know, splint a leg and that sort of thing. Uh, I was going to say FEMA. FEMA has a ton, a literal ton. You could spend weeks and weeks. Um, you could spend weeks and weeks. Federal emergency. Well, yeah. I mean, yes, you will end up in a death camp. It's guaranteed. But um at least you'll know how to like, you know, help some people right before they get killed. No, no, but I mean that's literally it's our federal emergency medical or emergency something. It's not association. Uh, I don't know what the acronym stands for actually. See, maybe, but anyway, it's, it's, it's the it's the government branch that's designed to emergency educate. management agency. Okay, so it's anyway. I'm saying it's the government department or bureau or whatever that's tasked with educating the public so they're literally their job is to offer that type of information right now are they offering it online is that what you were saying yeah it's online and it, i mean oh, okay. i don't want to splash the ham radio thing but a lot of the emergency response ham radio um groups like uh, aries and races they actually kind of require that you take some of the fema classes and i know that when i took my cert training which is community community emergency response training they uh, highly recommended some of the FEMA classes. Oh, there you go. Federal Emergency Management Agency. John Z. Got it. Point, uh, two, 10 internets to John Z. All right. Well, we got off on first date, but man, that was kind of a neat. Yeah. So what's Hosh's? Uh, so I don't, I, don't, I don't have my medical kits here, but we looked at them in another uh, video, and G-Webs promptly said that it's a glorified boo kit. I, I understand that. <laughs> I have since added tourniquets, um, and I have a cat. And I did not go with the uh, SWAT T. I actually got two cats. Uh, that's not to say the SWAT T's wouldn't work. I'm just, you know, that's it. Uh, I also have Israeli dressings. What do you think about those? I'm a super big fan. I really, really like them. Good, strong packaging and well thought out, useful. Now, could you, could you use that as an improvised tourniquet? Yes. If well, you have, I, it's I, not I, strong I, enough, but yes, if no? you have. Okay. Yes. Okay. It, it is considered a secondary, like, let's say you're using it as a pressure dressing and then, you know, you got it down, you got it tight. And then at that point you realize it's, it's not enough. You need to go to switch. Well, instead of undoing it, loosening the pressure on the wound, uh, you make a couple adjustments at the, at the end. Uh, in fact, uh, I, uh, bought, uh, uh, one simply to train on, uh, and then a couple, uh, for myself and a couple for my son and, uh, He's out in uh, California right now at Yosemite and just saw his first black bear. But um, 
but and, and showed them exactly how to use it, reverse it, use that little uh, clevis device, and then how to yeah, also that's what it's called a clevis device. Yeah. Uh, at the very end, what to do differently if you go to lock it down, and all of a sudden, you know, it's not it's that pressure dressing is not enough. You actually need a tourniquet. How to how to turn it into a quasi tourniquet? Is that where you kind of like fold it over and pull it tight over the area? Uh, a, a visual rather than me trying to des describe it would do, would do much better. In fact, that's what what my, rather than me just showing my son, we sat there together and watched the YouTube video together, and then started and stopped it, started and stopped it, so that he could fully understand each step, you know, the placement of it, you know, how many inches, you know in regards to the location of the joint, uh, location of the wound, um, you know, what to expect, you know, understanding you've got 90 seconds starting uh, three seconds ago. But yeah, I really like, uh, and there and there's a newer version of it out that actually has a double pad. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, just so you're aware that um, of that. And if you ever see them on sale, they'll expire, right? The packaging yes. and the expiration date. So find expired stuff. It's super cheap. And like Dana said, bust them open and play with them. Use them. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's, it's you get them for like the, the four inches, like maybe six ninety nine. The six inches, maybe a few bucks more than that. But you, you're going to, to truly understand how to use it, uh, you're going to have to open one up. So just assume that one is going to be and, – and you can use it, you know, five maybe six times and then the fabric starts you know tearing itself yeah. apart because of the way it works yeah it's kind of by design if you start stretching the crap out of it i mean it's not there to be a a permanent solution <laughs> exactly it's just unfortunately you know they don't make a training device and nothing's better than the real thing because then you know what to expect right and it is reasonably affordable so why not i i I want to second one thing that I have actually used before. Um, I've used rolls of gauze before and, and actually treating a wound. Uh, but the uh, Z packs or the accordion pack that, that G Webs mentioned is a better way to go. Highly recommended. Uh, Pants is saying, how about a chest seal uh, on an advanced kit? Chest seals cost like 35 bucks. So you can improvise them with the plastic packaging and some tape depending on what the situation is. But most people can't um, diagnose tension pneumothorax and aren't interested. So chest seal for most people is like concept of having something for yourself or others that you're going to hand to someone who understands what to do with it. But basically what we're talking about is one lung collapses inside your chest cavity and creates a weird pressure thing. And if you've got bleeding and stuff, it's a way to release pressure. And then since you're not going to be able to cure that, you're only able to alleviate some of the uh, discomfort and make them able to breathe, you're going to basically create a valve and a chest seal does that really nicely like an EMT or a paramedic would want. Uh, but that requires the chest seal, which is basically like a plain pancake made out of surgical tape looking stuff. Um, you, you can't wad that up like you can a gauze, which can be malleable and squished and you can step on it and nobody really cares as long as it doesn't get unsterile. Uh, chest seals are kind of tricky, so uh, they're expensive and you don't really want to fold them. So uh, they don't really lend themselves to trauma kits. I tend to disregard trauma kits that have them in there only because that adds a lot to the price. And unless it's put in there in a way that it's going to stay good, uh, I leave that to a more advanced trauma kit. That's just me personally. I know a lot of people do carry them. And it's different if you're a, in the biz and you don't pay for stuff. You know, If you're in a 
to have access to a paramedics kit. You know, you're not paying thirty five dollars for a chest seal, and it's a little bit different. Um, I know that I, I think somebody already mentioned it, but you can use the uh, Israeli bandage as a as a chest seal. But I do want to show this. Where the hell is it? Oh, that's you're actually not using the Israeli dressing. You're using the package. The packaging. So I do want to mention. You might. You might as well use duct tape. I do want to mention one thing, and this is something I learned um, from hikers that go on through hikes when they're out there for hundreds, if not thousands, of miles. They carry a roll of what's called luco tape. Are you familiar with this, G Webs? Have you used this before? I don't know. So it's like uh, gauze or. No, it's it's like a surgical tape. Um, it's like a pretty thick woven cloth tape. But this thing, when you put it on somebody, it doesn't come off. It really seals up really, really nice. And we use it for our kids as makeshift band-aids because they can't rip them off. <laughs> I don't know what the application would be. What do they use okay. it? Are they use Find a ankle or what no, no. When they get like a, a a blister and a blister pops, and they need to have their so, shoe riding on it day in and day out for hundreds of miles, they use glucose tape. tape. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, instead of moleskin. Moleskin being a buck, why wouldn't they just? I mean, if you're going to be out, and, if if you're if you're walking for long enough, moleskin's just not going to last. You're going to be pulling your shoes okay. off every couple of miles to swap it out. This stuff lasts forever. Like it, you, this stuff is awesome. Luco tape, L E U K O. Yeah. I was not aware that uh, moleskin um, w was that ineffective that after a couple miles it would come right off. Oh, yeah. It's designed for, like, regular people in their normal shoes. So when you put it on, I always have to tape it on anyway if I'm really using well, it. Well, yeah. I, I just assumed that, I mean, the, the, the adhesive I always assumed was just to hold it on until you put tape over it. Oh, okay. Well, that might be, actually. No, you're supposed to put the moleskin on the wound. Right. Okay. And then the tape over the moleskin. Uh, yes, and possibly a uh, some kind of padding between the tape and your skin or whatever. Well, well, yeah. If the moleskin, if you don't have enough moleskin, yeah. But still, I, I mean, I don't know how much you've used that stuff. But even when I was in Boy Scouts, that stuff wouldn't wouldn't fit the bill. All right. Well, let's talk about this stuff you got on the table here. <laughs> yeah. So only half of this stuff is probably in line of what we're talking about. I'd say my light. Um, which is just a CR123 light. It's the copper light by, made by Meritac. It's not a clicky, um, but it's three modes. I like it. I've had this thing for years. My, uh, what is this? The RCS tool lockpick. I do actually carry this. Uh, possibly not always directly on my person, but it's always in a bag that I carry, and I'm always usually with... I, actually, I don't know of times where I don't have my backpack on me, so that's always there. Uh, I know G-Webs has feelings on knives, but I still carry my Spyderco Delica Wave, Emerson Wave, patent number on there. That's now, you've received training on how to use it to defend, to, to defend yourself, correct? I mean, depending on how much value you put in that, yes. I trained in okay. uh, Filipino martial arts for yeah. many because years. Because before and you jumped in line, we talked a little bit, or at least I did, about I, I carry a Leatherman that has a knife, knife for utility purposes. I do not carry a knife for defensive purposes because I have zero training in it. And um, I, I just feel it would be a waste of my time rather than using the tools that I know how to use. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think G-Web shares a similar mindset with you. And I, I don't think you're wrong in that. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. 
And if I had a freer state, I probably would be less dependent on uh, that knife. And I would probably continue still to carry this, which has become like my go-to utility knife. It's mm -hmm. a Boker Scout knife, also available on Meritac. Um, the main reason is because it's like the Tinkerer Swiss Army knife, but much better built. It has the Phillips head screwdriver on it, which kind of is the most important thing for me. So that's just easy. Are there pliers? No. No. So actually, I was gonna I was gonna splash this in too. This is usually on my person. Is I, I've I've kind of learned over time that while I like Leathermans, um, and they work, I I like having a proper wrench and so i've been carrying this nipex or nipex depending on how you want to pronounce it this is a really really nice it's a channel lock but it's a channel lock with a jaw that's open and uh, closable so if you've ever worked with a crescent wrench or a channel lock the problem you get is that they don't move but this you it locks and then you have a little bit of play so you can get on the bolt or whatever and you could still do fine work if you needed to and treat it like small jaws kind of thing so this isn't that big it's, how much those run um they're not cheap i think they're 20 to 30 dollars um but it's you can still easily pocket this if you if you didn't have a, a firearm on your person or it could go in a pouch and it's easily to carry in a bag so i carry this and between knives that's most of the stuff I need tool-wise if it was an emergency. Otherwise, I've got a full toolkit in my car almost always. Uh, wallet is one of those, what is this? Recycled firefighter fire um, hose wallets that I've had for years and years. Uh, and uh, Apple AirPods. You know, say what you want about that. Uh, the radio, I'll wait to talk about that because that's going to take a second. This is a tripod. You probably don't carry this. I do <laughs> for videos. Um, some of you may carry Game Boys. This is a Japanese Game Boy uh, called the Wonder Swan. You may not. This is nerdy stuff. Uh, these last two things are both radios. This one's not that big a deal. This is a CW only uh, radio that you probably wouldn't use in an emergency situation in for an immediate type sense, but as a survival radio... If you're out somewhere, this is probably the best thing you can have because it's CW only, and if you knew Morse code, you'd be able to reach out farther than anyone. So that's that. I'll leave that on the side, though. But the main radio that I carry, and I do carry this on my person, is a Yesu FT2DR. This is one of only two or three radios on the market right now that does APRS, which is an automatic packet. I'm sorry, automatic uh, position. Man, now amateur positioning radio system. Anyway, yeah, amateur. So it's kind of like putting a GPS in the radio. Correct. It has a GPS, and it'll pick up your location, and it'll squawk out where you're at, your heading, your elevation, and whatever sensors it has on board, it'll post out, and it can be picked up online. So carry this. You can turn this on at any time and start beaconing out where you're at. Now, people, and, I'm sure, are rolling their eyes and going, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. You live in L.A., and I don't know if you're technically in L.A. or not, but for the rest of us, you're in L.A. Yeah. And you can imagine a situation where there's any kind of situation where all of a sudden the phones are going to be glitched and whatnot. And I assume that with something like that, you potentially have ability to call home, reach out, figure out what's really going on, not be uh, uh, at the mercy of the radio and what they're distributing. 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I'm not going into too much detail here. I actually need to make a much longer video on this. That's just one of the features that this has. This has the ability to key up with similar radios and immediately locate how far you are between those those um, those other radios. It is still a two-way radio. It also supports a digital mode. That digital mode also features the location um, kind of setup. So, and that's all two-way comms. It can do text. It can do voice. And if you had the right microphone attachment, you could do images. And it's still, you know, bigger than my phone. What's but, the, what's it cost? Uh, this is three hundred fifty dollars. This radio. You do need a ham uh, amateur radio license to use it, though. Uh, there it is, amateur radio positioning system. Thanks, John Z. I don't know why. I tech know license, that. though, right? You don't need anything special in that. Yeah, you just need your technician's license. Yeah, and another thing that's cool about this is it's uh, the digital mode that it supports, much like other digital modes, is um, connected by the internet. So you wouldn't just be talking local. You could, you could do that if you wanted to, but you could talk all the way around the world with this radio. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Um, the positioning system on it is really nice. Now, what's going on with that grid you got underneath it? Those are half inch lines. Uh, let me see. Yes, they're half inch lines. I'm so used to seeing one inch ones. Your stuff isn't giant. It's actually on a half inch grid. This is a half inch uh, self healing cutting mat. So, I think that's everything. Yeah, pretty much everything. Wonder Swan though is probably the best thing. Yeah. Just, you know. For all you nerds out there, you guys don't even know what this is. <laughs> so that's um, is it a Game Boy? It's a uh, Japanese-only oh. portable video game machine. Um, I did. Did I show this on chat? My RCS tool. This is the coolest, best uh, lockpick, like jackknife. I have ever come across. This thing is awesome. And how much was it? Was it 20 bucks? Did we look it up online? I think it was 20 bucks. And it doesn't come in pink. It comes in blue and gray. Um, I just got the uh, the pink one because I don't That's care. I mean, if you're saying that it's in good shape or it's a decent quality, the one I have was at least 14 and it's one step above portless. Oh, this so thing is awesome. Yeah, I, this is, yeah, this is legit. I am very, very impressed by this, and uh, I agree with you that the jackknife-style pick sets are garbage. Well, they can be, but obviously people are putting effort into them, and just like anything, they can get a cheap multi-tool, yeah. a nice multi-tool, super expensive. Yeah, for sure. Well, we've been all over the place with this one, so that was kind of cool. That's what the show is all about, is kind of taking a topic as a seed and letting it grow. And we started kind of late tonight, so there's still 20 people watching. That's pretty awesome. Uh, see, Roll Call just jumped in out there. Uh, let's see what we got on the schedule. Where did I put the, I didn't even open the schedule today. I'm just going off the show notes. So we talked about a uh, member of the day, Mr. Knives. We talked about our EDCs. Well, I guess our CCW kind of EDC. Talked about back pocket carry quickly. And what else do we got here? Gun shop today is just firearms museums in general. Uh, every once in a while, I just like take a step back. Uh, I found the awesomest site the other day, and I don't remember what it is. I was looking for new museums on the route, right? I'd just go into Google Maps and start searching. Then I went on Google and just searched for firearms museums and found a couple of resources. Um, 
they're neat. And I think, uh, let me see if I type in Firearms Museum, if I can find it while I'm talking here. But this guy was some sort of a, obviously savvy enough to have built a website. Oh, did I find it on the first shot? Probably because I've been there before, right? Boom. We're going to screen capture. Is Clover still awake? No, we're keeping him up for you later. Yeah. So yeah. check this out, man. This guy, ever, anybody ever heard of Ben Nicholson before? No. I don't know if he's a person or not. I never knew nothing about him, but I searched. I literally searched for firearms museums, and it was one of the things that came up. He's got this wicked map, and of course, I'm like, oh, which ones are these, right? You go down, and oh, here it is. You 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 see this really cool little grid of all these firearms museums. Uh, he's you just really think it's a neat way to uh, set it up, and uh, he's got a pretty decent collection here. A lot of these are. Um, on military installations, uh, but a lot of them are others, uh, everything that we're familiar with and more. Uh, but what's neat is up here somewhere, <clears throat> I'm going to read his introduction, and this is going to be why I like to focus on just firearms museums in general once in a while like this. Visiting firearms museum is an essential aspect of gun appreciation and collecting. It complements the attending of gun shows and building a library of books on firearms and ammunition. In a museum, the novice and the expert alike will see their own interests set in the context with stored firearms of great, great quality, excuse me, storied firearms of great quality, alongside guns that may be unfamiliar to them. A public gun museum or collection can often be visited within a few hours of any location in the U.S. Some of the great collections are grouped together in a region, region that justifies a trip away from home. And I don't know who this guy is, but wow, that is one of the coolest paragraphs I've read on the internet in a while. And I think that uh, sums up pretty well um, what I think firearms museums value are in society, especially our society where we constantly have a battle of whether or not our interest in firearms is valid or even healthy. And I think he says it in a nice, sober, uh, uh, precise way that I just, I, I found that awesome. And of course, like I say, you find this cool map, so it's like a visual right away pop. Here's where all these firearms museums are. Gives you some more information about them and stuff. And then he has this just wicked cool grid um, of all the actual museums. So you can get a really quick physical idea how big they are, how they're laid out. You know, you can tell right away if they're in a city or if they're out in the middle of nowhere. Really, really, really cool. Clover, this is the next place we're going in. Uh, in uh, Tulsa. This is that Colt Museum. Yeah. Sweet. Okay, so uh, that was our firearms museum. So every day we uh, do the show on a daily basis so we can feature gun shops. Um, I'm going to be heading out on the road. We'll use this guy's map. I'm going to be leaving Tucson. It sounds more and more like I might be in California next Tuesday. I'm curious to go to that Del Mar uh, gun show public meeting. So I might be in, t in California on Tuesday. Right on. Uh, All right. We'll come back to Arizona and get my guns. Then I'll go to Dragon Man's. Then I'll go across Nebraska, meet up with Sandhills, Travis, potentially Gary, if he can come up. I'll book across Iowa because I don't know anything to do in Iowa. I'm going to check out the uh, Browning uh, Museum, the Browning's Dad's Museum in Southern Illinois. The uh, I have an invitation to check out the uh, Rock Island Auction House. Then we'll go, of course, to the uh, gun rights policy conference in chicago the art institute has a collection of guns which i'm curious to take a look at after that i'll be heading north to wisconsin uh, to minnesota either south or north dakota kind of happen to play it by ear at this point uh, then into maybe montana depending on how i come across but the goal here is to hit 
uh, Cody, Wyoming, kind of right next to Yellowstone. Buffalo Bill Cody lived there, so it's Cody, Wyoming. And it has the Buffalo Bill Museum. It has the, uh, the, the Winchester Factory Museum, or the, fa the Winchester Factory collection was donated to the Cody, Wyoming Museum. And uh, that's a, an amazing uh, collection of guns, so I'll be checking that out. Uh, heading south, I spend some time in Wyoming, so I'm going to take a day off and hang out in Wyoming. Uh, then go down to Utah, Salt Lake City, and see where John Browning, the son of Jonathan Browning, uh, did his magic. I'll have just visited the Cody, Wyoming, where the guns that Browning took out of his shop and brought to Winchester as um, representations of the patents he was selling. So I'm going to see the guns, and then I'm going to go to where he built them again. Uh, from there, I'll probably go down and hang out either in Vegas or uh, California again and then come back to Arizona for the machine gun shoot, and that'll be the end of this leg of the tour. And I'm hoping in that 48 days, I'm only going 5,000 miles. The time I went to New York to hang out with John out there at the uh, Bannerman Museum or the Bannerman Castle, uh, I did 11,000 miles in the same 48 days. So this should be significantly less travel, which would give me more opportunity to hit shops. I have some work to do. I have a project that I'm working on that's basically allowing me to even do this. but. Um, in, in addition to that, I'm hoping to hit at least an average of two shops a day, and that'll be 100 more gun shops on this tour uh, added to the art collection. And that'll be pickups. That'll be gun shops in, in Denver, which I haven't been to yet, all of Nebraska, which I've never gotten a gun shop in. Um, Iowa has Brownells, right? Uh, I think I'm going to drive right past Brownells, so I'll be able to check out their place. Uh, again, firearms and gun shops and stuff up here. Uh, if it works according to my initial schedule, I'll be able to hit a gun show in South Dakota, which I've never experienced. And where was the other gun show? Somewhere down here, maybe there's a gun show. Uh, so lots of uh, opportunity to hit more of these uh, gun shops. We talked about it a little bit in Clover's chat. One of my goals with uh, checking out gun shops is one, to let people know what the uniqueness of these various gun shops are by letting everyone know what's interesting about some of these gun shops. Maybe we give fellow gun shops or sister gun shops some ideas. And hopefully we also uh, foster like an interest in seeking out gun shops. I'm certainly not the only one who can take pictures of gun shops. And I hope this is just to inspire others to start taking pictures of theirs. And once we start, re, re, uh, once we start realizing that our gun shops are a resource that we can share and be proud of, now there's a reason to travel and these gun shops have more pride in being online and stuff and, and we be, it becomes part of the culture. So there's a, an ulterior motive to it all, but it's also just a heck of a cool way to experience our Second Amendment and to see the, the variety of it. As you go through these shops, some of these are going to be long range hunting shops, I suspect. Some of them are going to be quite different down here in California. And I have no idea what to expect in the middle of the country. I imagine upland birds, maybe. They do a lot of upland bird hunting, probably. I don't think they probably do. Good, probably good elk and hunting rifles. Yeah. So, um, again, there's there's a little bit of method to the madness. And, uh, again, I want to say thanks to the people on Patreon who make this possible, the people on the Indiegogo campaigns that bring in the money to uh, make the things even happen. And then, of course, people that buy stuff at the Gear website store. That's the three ways that I'm able to raise funds to do what I do. I do as much as I can to keep it frugal so that there's no extra funds. I don't spend a moment in a hotel. I don't really go out to eat. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to uh, make the most efficient use of everybody's cash that they donate to this cause. So uh, 
where did I get at this? That's why we talk about gun shops every day on this show. Uh, I really do think they're a vital part of our culture, and too often we dismiss them because they're not perfect or we just don't care, and it's, and it's frustrating. So let's uh, challenge that and focus on them every single day because we do that. I'm just preaching to the choir, but you never know somebody didn't know about the Gun Rights Policy Conference, so I guess that we have to take a moment every once in a while to reiterate the missions of our channels, right? I'm talking a lot today. Getting sick of talking. You guys had me all riled up. I had some great news earlier. I'm able to take the trip, and it's freaking you awesome. You are still riding the wave, Mister. I am. I am. So, uh, high on life. Is there anything else to chat about? We could blow off history, I think, because we're running so late. Um, I got my chat tomorrow, but we right can talk, on, about yeah, later. talk about what everybody's doing. Clover, you mentioned you've got a guest tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Modern Spartan Systems. Ooh. Targets? Uh, no, they do uh, cleaning and lubrication products. That's right. Yeah. And how she said the Ham Radio Crash Course is tomorrow? Yeah, Ham, Ham Radio Crash Course always on the Friday, 7 p.m. And it's uh, my Patreons decided every first of, the, first of the month, first Friday of the month, I let the Patreons pick the topic. And they want me to spend more time on the difficult question categories on the general um, amateur radio licensing test. So we're going to get in real deep with uh, antenna feed points and radio systems on HF and some circuitry stuff. So it's going to be a little heady, but hopefully some fun. I'll definitely be cracking some jokes, so it should be good. Right on. Let me just mansplain that to everybody who, to be a filter. So ham radio is a bunch of radio frequencies that most of us aren't supposed to be fiddling with, mainly because they're either right next to military frequencies or just, you know, they could be a nuisance if we were just randomly wasting our energy on them. So they blocked them off a long time ago and said, if you want to play with these or you want to use these, you have to get a license. So now they've got a licensing system and there's three levels to that. The first and the expert is the one Josh talking about, and then a more advanced one. When you take these classes, there's like what 90 questions, period, for the for the first, for the second, or for the third, or whatever the number of questions is. But those questions 35. are five. Um, it's a it's a like a 400 question pool, but you only well, have to take 35 multiple choice questions. So there's there's in a finite amount. There's like let's say 400 he said questions, and for the, the for the level that you're talking about, expert, there's 400 questions. 500 for extra and the okay. test is 50 I believe but that's the last that's the last step and you really don't even need to go to the last step if you're not really really passionate about it no, I'm not um, talking the first step second step is for a general your, your chat tomorrow is about general I thought you said general that's the second step right so how many questions are on that how many questions in the pool are there uh, I believe that is also, that is 400 as well, I believe, 35 okay. questions on the so test. What I'm trying to get at is that there's, this is not quite open book, but it's a, there's systems, so there's ways to approach these tests. There's 400 questions, and those will be the same 400 questions for like, let's say, five years. Or there's a certain amount of time that they'll use these questions. So you can look at that 400 questions, and you know that you're only going to get asked 50 of them. So just like any test you might have taken in school, you can look at the 400 anytime you want. You can prepare weeks and weeks or months or days or however much you want. You can look yeah. at those 400 questions. So if you take those 400 questions and scrutinize them, you're going to find a percentage of them are going to be easy, obvious, no-brainer. Some of them are like, uh, an example would be, 
if it's an emergency, who can use a ham radio? Well, guess what? Anybody. Right. So some of them are no brainers. Some of them are kind of basic. What's a transistor? What's a wire? You know, just really easy tech questions. And then like Hosh is saying, some of them actually get into to, to stuff that you're not going to just know or casually have encountered before. So a lot of people will look at that test and they'll uh, know the easy stuff. They'll they'll memorize the stuff that's kind of in the middle, and then they'll usually just run through the test over and over and over until they kind of understand what those questions are, what the answers are to those questions, yep. without actually bothering to know the theory behind them or the actual tech behind it, because they know that you only have to pass the question. You don't have to know the stuff. So that's great for your strategy of passing the test, and it's super useful. That's what I did to get the technical one. I didn't learn every single thing there is to learn about ham radio. I saw the questions and I practiced the test until I was able to pass the test and now I have my ham radio. Well, some people aren't satisfied with that. They want to know what the theory is. And what Hosh is offering is a human being not only willing to do this, but then go down to those questions. So immediately you've got somebody who can take away all the questions that aren't applicable and get down to those ones that are difficult and then talk about theory. Now, if you're going to try to learn some stuff uh, on stuff that you're not familiar with, how do you approach that? Well, ideally, you have a coach or somebody who knows what they're doing, explaining it to you in terms that you can understand. Or, and ideally, you're going to be able to ask that person, did you mean this or did you mean that? Oh, okay, thanks for clarifying it. Now I understand this little step. So that's what Hosh is doing in his ham radio crash course. I think that's an excellent service, and I figured it was worth mansplaining that. Yeah, uh, thank you. Oh, that's great. No, and, and I think the live stream platform is really good for that because you can um, ask for clarification on the things I'm talking about. And there's usually not too many people in there that you can you can actually communicate with me. And, and often when I do the practice exams at the end of the show, I'll let people answer. I'll let the chat answer and we'll see how accurate they are. Right on. And that's you're creating something, although you're doing it live for your specific audience, you're leaving behind an archive that your kids will be able to watch if they want to and learn from their dad. So somebody else can watch six weeks from now and pass that test. Or maybe somebody can watch four years from now and say, oh, even though I've had it explained to me, this isn't my thing. I, now that I understand what it is, I'm going to go skateboard or something. Right? So yeah. you're providing a service now and in the future. That's pretty cool. Sure. And and don't get too worried about the test. The first level test, you only have, um, there's 35 questions on the actual test you take, and it's a 75% pass rate. So that's pretty good odds. And uh there's actually phone apps you download that you can take practice tests on. So you kind of use my chats to supplement the practice test and we kind of go through all the content. It's, it's, it's not hard. Uh, there are technical aspects of it. And again, that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow for the second level of, of the, the licensing program, but um, it'll be fun regardless. Thank you. You bet. Well, thanks for hosting on gun channels. I do appreciate that you're putting something over there that, is definitely not guns but it's also in the realm of stuff that a lot of gun people are interested in and if we were just all boring gun stuff then it wouldn't be appealing to the variety of people that may end up making gun channels what it is so you're part of that thank you yeah it's been fun we're actually uh simulcasting on four different services now so youtube facebook uh gun channels and uh twitch pretty neat and one of these days we'll bang heads together and talk about some of the other stuff to do with your podcast because you've been over there kicking butt on that and some of us have been over here kicking butt on our podcasting and we're you know focusing on that so we can collaborate there and hopefully get your message out even further yeah yeah that'd be awesome i i, I started 
pitching some of the episodes to podcast to uh, to my podcast hosting thing, and that's just an extra step, you know, editing the audio. You know how it is. You you got to do that whole thing. Uh, USMC eighteen twelve, new member over on the Gun Channel side. Lisa name I'm not familiar with saying. Any experience with the IMG Polish L pup? Does that mean? Oh, IMG Polish help pup. Is that a gun? I think we wore everybody out. Yeah, it is. It's a it's an AK pistol, isn't it? I'm kind of comatose over here. Uh, I was thinking IMI there for a second, but no, IMG. That's different. Yeah, I I don't have any. I mean, I. I know, I know what it is, but that's about Let me all tell I you can about say. Kratom, Poland. Uh, that's a town in Poland, and it's the name of a factory. And he's saying AK pistol. Yeah. yeah, it's a Polish AK pistol. It looks like, and it says according to it's small dog that comes from the bowels of hell. So. Uh, 100% new parts produced in Radom, Poland. Radom is the name of the town, and it's also the name of a factory. So uh, I don't know nothing about these, but I do know that there's a difference between being made in Colt, Indiana, and being made by Colt. I think that's the way to explain it. So I have no idea. But if it's just made in Radom, Poland, that don't mean nothing to me. If it's made on the Radom factory, that's a Soviet-era factory that's probably kicking out decent guns. But I'd don't know much more than that little insight. Uh, but this ain't the chat for that. We basically are not, I don't know, we don't really get into buying decisions on guns like that. We talk typically more about, I don't know, 2A and gun shops and advocacy and just a little bit of nerd stuff. And then, well, like today, EDC crap. So uh, I'd have to get in the mode of AK stuff. And I don't have potential. There is the... Um, Red October's coming up here in a minute in October. Uh, there's also a AK event coming up in Illinois, I think, or is it? Yeah, it's in Illinois. Uh, so if you go on Instagram um, and then check out the uh, Red October and the other one, I forget what the other one is called, but uh, check out the AK events. You're going to find the people that subscribe to those events are very knowledgeable about AKs and either watch their conversations amongst themselves or search their conversations amongst themselves for that particular AK and then you'll get like a fly on the wall some idea of what they say about it or ask them specifically and then you'll get I don't know depending on who you ask you'll get more information than I know because I don't buy new AKs okay so he's saying they're not made in the Radom factory they're made in a factory in Radom again that's like saying well I'm made adjacent to a company that you've heard of before could be made by anybody Oh, so I don't know if that helped her at all. But uh, I'll see Clover saying they're made at the factory, so now I'm getting conflicting info. So <laughs> we don't know. Uh, we don't have a conclusive, everybody's saying the same thing here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I thought they were made actually at at the factory. But, yeah, I could, I could be wrong. The random factory would be like, you know, when the Soviets owned Poland. That's where they told them to make AKs. So they're coming out of Soviet-era machinery. Uh, the people that own that are called... Um, I can't think of it. It's too late. Uh, but, yeah, that's... 
that would be a barrel if it came from there uh, or an onyx and that doesn't look like either that just looks like some kind of romanian looking thing so that's something new it's not a typical military polish gun well and they could could they not be made in one of the old factories there that's been retooled anyway or something that's a good point. I really don't know. I haven't. I used to have an. Ins, I used to have some inside info on Poland, but that was three or four years ago. So, yeah, because you're talking about just because the the shell of the factories there doesn't mean that they are making them on the same stuff or even with the same materials. Exactly, or the same skilled craftsmen or whatever you call sure. them. Yeah. Right. But you know, you see, there was recently those magazines from Yugoslavia or whatever the countries are called now. And, you know, they showed, there was a videos going around of the machines making those magazines. Remember, this is like maybe a year ago already. Um, and it was neat just to watch the magazines being made. But I was looking at the machines that were bigger than school buses that were making this little tiny magazine. It's like, that's some, <laughs> that's some investment in machinery and it. it's probably never going to wear out. And I would probably trust any mag that comes out of it because that machine is the size of a bus. And all it does is make a magazine, <laughs> like, right. or, you know, a portion of a magazine, like it's, I don't know how they're going to break that. All right. Probably made millions of them. So uh, that, I don't know. maybe there's some videos out there on how those are made, and that might give you some insight if it's some guy working on a drill press or if it's a machine the size of a school bus that looks like some kind of thing out of an old weird movie or something. Yeah, we built an R plant in Radom. There you go. <laughs> anyway, good question, but I don't really, I don't. That's as much insight as I can give you some old-fashioned, dusty info. Well, we're all winding down. I appreciate everybody stuck around. Uh, kind of a loose show. It's what we do. And uh, we keep a conversation going. We're going to the Gun Rights Policy Conference. It would be pretty cool. I'm looking forward to interview with a couple of people that I've been researching to fill in some blanks. Uh, as soon as I got some time after all that, I'll go back through my 2A history with my new knowledge and I'll get some contacts and find out, you know, from the people that have long, interesting stories, I'll get contacts from them so that I can uh, follow up with them outside the gun rights policy conference and fill in some of the gaps. So I'm really looking forward to the next year. And uh, I do apologize for running out of gas here at the end. Yeah, no worries. I realized we didn't even start till an hour late or something. I got to say it, it is actually Dano though that really dragged everything down. I gotta, I gotta say that he definitely, <laughs> totally crashed the chat. So Dano, I I accept your apology. I accept it. I'm just kidding, buddy. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, so anyway, I'm looking forward to uh, what I'm able to come out with from the from the policy conference, and uh, it should be the largest one. So. I'm going to keep talking about it right up until there, just in case somebody says, oh, I do have that weekend off. I mean, I'll drive over there and experience it. Uh, again, it's going to recharge the batteries of those people that are there as much as it's going to recharge yours. With that, uh, I'm done saying stuff over and over again. Does anybody have a quote for tonight? No. Oh, Gizzard's got one. I got one. Right on. As long as there are guns... The individual that wants a gun for a crime is going to have one and going to get it. The only person who's going to be penalized and have difficulty is the law-abiding citizen who then cannot have it if he wants protection, the protection of a weapon in his home. Ronald Reagan. I can now go on websites.com encourage you to take a CCW class once a month and carry every day. Thanks for watching gunwebsites.com.